AgriTalk is brought to you by Full Scale from Helena. Grow Strong returns this season with breakthrough foliar nutrition from Full Scale at Reproduction. And by Propane. Propane is the energy for everyone, especially farmers. Environmentally friendly propane can fuel most anything on the farm. See how at propane.com. How much are consumers willing to spend on beef? We'll get some perspective this morning, and then it is time for this month's update on farmers' attitudes according to the Ag Economy Barometer. We'll get a breakdown of one of the most important biofuel meetings of the year, and then we'll figure out what is next in the battle about dicamba. Live from everyone's respective broadcast bunkers via Farm Journal <laughs> broadcast, this is AgriTalk. This morning, we begin with a conversation with Dr. Michael Langemeyer from Purdue. Then it's Emily Score from Growth Energy. Later, Darren Kopick from the Agricultural Retailers Association. And directly following the news, Greg Henderson from Drovers. I'm handsome newsman Davis Michelson, and now the host of AgriTalk, Chip Flory. It is great to get out and among the people and listeners and hear mm-hmm. all the comments about the shows mm-hmm. and everything. But it's kind of nice to get back in the bunker, too, Davis. Yeah, nice to be back home, eh? Yeah, no doubt. How you doing? Everything good? Everything's great. You betcha. Great. Well, I had a completely uneventful drive from Kansas City back to the bunker last night. Glad to hear it. Glad yeah. to hear it. It's not yeah. a bad drive. It's not terrible. No, no, not at all. About five hours. Uh-huh. About that. Yeah. So went well. What a great couple of days, dude. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know how I feel about Top Producer Summit. It's it's one of one of the, if not the best gathering that I get to each year. The willingness of people to share information, the willingness of of uh, of people to just get into deep conversation about the things that really matter mm-hmm. on their farm and to their business is, I, I think, is one of the things that really sets this meeting apart from so many of the other meetings that are out there. Um, and then, man, oh man, shout out to the team at, uh, at, at top producer. Here's a name that we don't mention near enough. Heather Starrett. Oh, sure. Yeah. Heather's great. Yeah. She is the events coordinator at farm journal and has been for quite some time and just does a fantastic job making sure that 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 attendees are comfortable are well taken care of uh the event not only matches but beats their expectations heather does a uh, just a phenomenal job and of course margie echo camp with her first top producer summit this year did a a bang up job and uh we'll check in with margie sometime next week and see how well she she handled it and how she's recovering okay give her a day or two maybe let's give her <laughs> let's do that all right let's get to the news sure thing chip uh private exporters reported sales of two hundred thousand metric tons of corn for delivery to yeah. colombia yeah. during the 23-24 marketing year some traditional demand there chip. yeah that's really good to see and we chip. need more of it there's no question about it but to see colombia make a big enough purchase to warrant a daily export sales announcement it suggests that they are getting more aggressive and getting their book covered. 
Well, traders anticipate slightly smaller U.S. ending stocks for corn and wheat and a rise in carryover for soybeans in USDA's supply and demand report out just uh, in less than an hour now. A greater focus will be placed on USDA's South American production forecasts, especially for Brazil. While USDA is expected to trim its Brazilian soybean and corn crop forecasts, they will likely remain above those from private crop watchers. Uh, and Chip here, on that note, Brazilian crop estimating agency Conab cut Brazil's soybean crop forecast 5.9 million metric tons from last month. That's at 149.4 million metric tons. Uh, it also lowered its corn crop forecast almost 4 million metric tons to 113.7, yeah. uh, with 3.1 million metric tons of that decline yep. due to a smaller outlook for safrina production. Right, right. That is something that we've been talking about for quite some time. We'll get Brian Grady's take on it at the bottom of the hour. Well, USDA forecasts a significant $40 billion plunge in 2024 farm income versus 2023, which was down $26 billion from 2022. It is the lowest net farm income and net cash income forecast since 2020. During a speech to the National Association of State Departments of Ag, Secretary Tom Vilsack said recent good years have left American farmers in a good situation financially, yeah. and most would be able to survive the downturn. Right. right. You know, the thing is that 2022 was a record level, and we're down $26 billion, uh from the record level, but we are just below the long-term average on an inflation-adjusted basis. It It, it, it is... Uh, it's the reason that we need to find some agreement on what to do with Title I on the farm bill, the safety net options. Well, if the U.S. national debt could reach $54 trillion over the next decade, the federal government set to add nearly $19 trillion to its debt load as it grapples with aging Americans and higher interest expenses, according to the Congressional Budget Office. Efforts to slow down growth in federal spending are helping the agency found, but the country is likely to rack up more debt to GDP than uh, than at any point in its history. A federal court earlier this week ruled that the EPA unlawfully approved dicamba for use over soybeans and cotton crops. The court cited dicamba's broader toxicity and volatility, siding with four organizations challenging the EPA's decision. Bayer disagreed with the ruling and awaits EPA guidance the Ag Retailers Association criticized the decision's timing and called for science-based regulation. They urge an appeal and flexibility yeah. to minimize disruptions. We'll talk with Darren about that coming up uh, at the end of the show. Well, finally, Senator Joe Manchin will argue during a Senate Energy and Natural Resources Committee hearing today that President Biden's pause on new liquefied natural gas export approvals is unjustified and should be, quote, reversed immediately. Chip. All right. Good stuff, Davis. Thank you very much. Greg Henderson, Editorial Director at Drovers. How you doing, Greg? Chip, I'm well, thank you. Good, good, good. Okay, I love the perspective that you've got on consumer. It's almost a willingness to spend on beef, pork, and poultry. Talk about that. Well, yes, there's data now going back over 25 years. Uh, some of the recent data is not as good, but basically – Beef is far and away the winner in the race for dollars from consumers. Beef spending up 216% over the last 25 years, Chip. Broiler spending up 170%, followed by pork at 135%. Now, that turns a little bit when we look at the last five years. Uh, broiler spending up about 46%, followed by beef at 38%, and pork at 30%. But basically, the beef output will be in decline while production levels for both pork and chicken 
will likely grow the next few years. And that may change, you know, with these cattle numbers the way they are, Chip, that we saw in last week's cattle report. Right. Another right, data right, point right, I want to right. share with your your audience is the shift in grading percentages. And and this was from January. So far in 24, the percentage of carcasses grading choice is nearly 1.5% smaller than it was in 23. And, and January was at 73.5%. So we think that weather may have had an impact on that. But here's the thing, Chip. Prime carcasses jumped almost a full percent to 9.9% in January. That means total choice in prime percentage was a whopping 83.4%. Man. Now, one month doesn't make a trend. We understand that. But interesting to note that that happened in that month. Yeah. It absolutely is interesting. You've got we've got some cheaper feed, but the weather that we had in January shouldn't have helped to support this. This I think is man consumer 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 driven. They have proven that they want higher quality beef in the meat case, Greg. I, that's what it's got to be. And feed yards are reacting. I think it's very positive. Good stuff, man. Get more on this at www.drovers.com. We've got Michael Langemeyer up next. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. What if your commercial beef herd could be better than you thought possible? Genetic testing can help give you more confidence about what your herd is made of, and more importantly, what it can be. Inherit Select from Zoetis provides data-driven genetic insights to help you make more informed selection, breeding, and culling decisions about your cows and heifers. The journey from genetic potential to reality begins with Inherit Select. Ask a genetics rep how to save on testing with our whole herd promotion. Go to beefgenetics.com forward slash radio. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. chickens have come home to roost find out whose fence they're perched on today on agritalk you won't believe this davis i don't believe it already i listened to this song last night and i thought you know what we don't use this enough as bump music really no kid no kid it's a good one i like it maybe maybe we're just using the wrong part of it maybe we could (laughs) use other parts of it for other bumps maybe we could Uh uh-huh there's no reason to, that we can't just jump into the middle of the song. I don't know why we couldn't do that. Chop it up into 27-second segments and uh, yeah. disperse. You know? And let's Enjoy. go. And You're let's welcome. Let's go. <laughs> All right. 
Let's get to the conversation right now with Michael Langemeyer. Michael is the Associate Director for the Center of Commercial Agriculture at Purdue University. Uh, that is where the Ag Economy Barometer is produced, along with help from the CME Group. Michael is also a professor in the Department of Ag Economics at Purdue University. He joins us right now. Michael, it's great to talk with you again. How are you? Great. Good. Great, great to be here. Great. I'm glad, glad that you are here. Okay. Michael, uh, a bit of softness or a souring of attitudes among farmers, I think, is being reflected in this month's ag economy barometer, isn't it? Yes, and I think there's there's two things we can point to. One of them is the, the last WASDE report was not very positive uh, with the increases in corn yields and the increases in soybean yields, and keeping in mind that about half the people that we survey on a monthly basis are primarily corn and soybean producers, it was not surprising that the A economy barometer and the two sub-indices uh, were down. The other signal is we asked this question, as you know, related to biggest concern, and yeah. certainly the 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 uh, lower crop and livestock prices that we're seeing, lower crop receipts that we're seeing in 24 or expect to see in 24 uh, are also on people's minds. Uh, right now, in, in terms of biggest concern, uh, lower crop and livestock prices and input costs are the same right at about 28%. Okay. For months, input cost has been higher uh, yep. as a concern as these lower prices and now lower prices is neck and neck uh, with input costs. But the fact that both of them are there as the top concerns, you know, just tells how, how worried producers are about this, uh, this, this price cost squeeze. I'm telling you, Michael, we just wrapped up top producer summit down in Kansas city, had a huge crowd down there. I, I don't know how many we had, but it was a big ballroom and it was full. Um, and I had several attendees stop and say, you know what, Chip, it's not just the simple fact that we're at 450. It's the fact that it has taken as long as it has to get to 450 and no sign that, you know, and, and now that we're at 430, 435 in the, in the front month contract, really no sign of when the price pressure is going to let up. I think you're... What what your survey discovered in er, unveiled in in January about uh, attitude about price is spot on. It has moved into the number one spot among concerns going into the year ahead. Yeah, we've had some relief from from production costs. I mean, yeah. uh, when we look at the uh, twenty four budgets here, at Purdue. You know, uh, break-even price for corn is down about 9%, primarily due to lower fertilizer costs. But nevertheless, it's still well above 5 for a lot of producers. And as you said, uh, these cash prices are down in the 425, 450 range, uh, considerably below uh, most people's break-even. Well, and and all of this is, is about uh, income, about cash flow, about net uh, returns. And when you look at the numbers that are coming from USDA, their their updates on on net cash uh, income for the year ahead, my goodness gracious, uh, you guys were identifying that this is going to be a problem before we got the official announcement from USDA, right? Yes, and and, and you got to remember, I, I don't want to be uh, too pessimistic here, but you have to remember 
that about a third of the people that respond to the survey are livestock producers, and a, and a big chunk of that third is beef producers that really are doing fairly well. And so, and so, just think what the sediment would be if it would be just crop producers. It'd be even worse uh, than it is now. And that's primarily the audience that that I work with is, is crop producers. And and I think they're they're recognizing that that twenty four uh, could be a repeat of, of something like nineteen. Yep. Yep. Okay. Michael, there's something in figure four uh, that I want to look at very closely here. And it's not a huge number, but when you're talking about going from a 7% a year ago to an 11% this year, it's a big percentage increase in the amount of attention that it's getting. And the question is, looking ahead to next year, what are your biggest concerns for your farming operations? Environmental policy is sneaking up. It's up, it's up to 11% believe that that is the, the biggest concern. What kind of perspective can you give us on that? In general, if you look at uh, several different questions, policy con- concerns are higher this month than they have been for, for a while. And yeah. so it's not a, only environmental policy. I think it's also uh, immigration pro- policy, trade policy, uh, the farm bill. I was just looking okay. at the... Uh, uh, the data from USA ERS related to the uh, the release of the net farm income forecast yesterday. And if you look at government payments forecast for, for 2024, they're really low. Uh, and, and so I, I think producers are very concerned about where the safety net uh, is at the current time. Okay. So it's not just any environmental policy. I think environmental policy is definitely on people's radar, but I, yeah. but I, I, there is several other policies that it's are the whole also package. on people's radar. It's the whole package. Yeah. And, and, and what I, what the word I would use when it comes to policy right now, and I've been using this for a while, but I think it's increased is uncertainty. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it's, it's one thing to have a policy that we, that we have difficulty living with, but when, 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 when you don't know what the policies are going to be, that really creates an angst. Yeah. Yeah. It, it really doesn't. I'm just going to throw this out there. And one of the reasons is, is because when you look at the demand that is being built because of some of the policies that are out there for biofuels for the years ahead and the uncertainty of what is going to happen if we have a changeover in the occupancy of the White House, it, it, that dude, that won't affect my bottom line at all. At least I don't think, Michael. And it gives me heartburn. Yeah, it's 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 worrisome to say the least, and 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 as you know, you know, thirty-five to forty percent of the U.S. corn crop goes into ethanol, and and we have really high hopes uh, for renewable diesel, and if 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 those uh, change, uh, yeah. we're we're in big trouble in terms of prices. Yep, yep. Okay, talk to me about. Yeah, we've got time for this before because I want to get to that last item. Uh, but but first, let's talk about the impact on land prices. What are the what are the expectations? The the expectations for land are still relatively optimistic compared to the ag economy barometer overall. Uh, there's there's still an index of 115 where 100 would be neutral uh, when, with respect to land prices in the next 12 months. And so and so overall, they're still uh, a little bit uh, optimistic that land prices will continue to increase uh, in the in the next 12 months. And then you look at the five year; it's still about 60 percent, uh, an index of about 160. Uh, meaning that they're they're quite confident that land prices are going to increase uh, in the next five years. We also asked a question related to operating loans, and I want to tie this together uh, with the yes. land values because you know obviously the sediment is, is relatively weak right now compared 
compared to what it's been in, in recent months because of the things that we that we've talked about. Uh, we've built up a lot of liquidity in the agriculture sector the last three years, and so when you look at the operating loan question, yes, financial stress looks like it's ticking up, but it's still really low uh, compared to what what it, what it was even in 2020. Uh, and I'm getting that from the the operating loan questions that that we asked and so and so there there is some there is some uh, strong points out there in agriculture and one of them is the balance sheet uh the yeah. balance sheet yep. is really strong right now with with support for land values and and uh and and uh, and people expecting that land values will increase at least a little bit here uh in the near future so that's helping uh that's helping the non-current portion of the balance sheet but the current portion is also relatively yeah. strong and so and so we're certainly in in pretty good position uh to 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 withstand uh this cost price uh squeeze if it's only right. one year All right if it's only one year that's that's exactly right okay we've only got a minute left talk to me about the question about the uh, uh, carbon payments. Yeah, this was very consistent. We've asked this question uh, off and on for the last three years, and it's very consistent uh, with 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 the, with the uh, when we've asked it before. Only about ten percent are 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 aware of opportunities uh, related to carbon, uh, and so it's a relatively small number. And when you look at the 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 payments that that uh, that 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 ten percent is is, uh, yeah. uh, is is looking at uh, when they're looking at carbon, they're still relatively low. Uh, with over 50% being being below uh, you know uh, $10 per metric ton which would translate uh, in, in in my back of the envelope math at about less than $10 an acre and so yeah. uh, that's that's been the consistent story the last 3 years and that really hasn't changed yeah yeah feels like that is going to have to change if those companies that are looking to sell the carbon offsets hope that their program is going to get some some traction um yeah, those yeah. rates are going to have to come up. They've got to. They've got to, Michael. No question. Great job, man. Another great survey. Thank you so much. You're welcome. You bet. Michael Langemeyer, Associate Director, Center for Commercial Agriculture there at Purdue University. Emily Score from Growth Energy is just off one of the biggest ethanol meetings of the year. We're going to get a rundown of what happened next on AgriTalk. Time for Markets Now with the experts from ProFarmer. Joining us now, ProFarmer editor Brian Grady. Beach. we've got a report coming up in a half an hour. Not a lot is expected from it. But the market action sure feels like just positioning ahead of the report, right? Yeah, so uh, I'll start in the soy complex. Soybeans okay. are posting pretty solid gains, uh, you know, about 8 to 11 cents here in uh, old crop contracts. And uh, Conab cut the uh, Brazilian yeah. crop forecast, and, and probably the attention grabber there is that they cut 5.9 million tons from it, but it dropped it below 150 million tons, and, right. and so that was a bigger cut than, than what was anticipated. Now, USDA isn't going to be that aggressive in all likelihood. I mean, it, it would be a shocker if USDA is that aggressive this month. Right. Um, but uh, still expecting some cuts there, and, and so we'll see. The other one is soy oil. It's trading, uh, oh, about 100 points higher here, and, and that's uh, pretty much directly reflective of the uh, the strong gains in crude oil here at midpoint. All right. They cut the corn crop estimate, Conob did, for Brazil, and it's not really helping the corn market. Yeah, no, uh, they cut it 3.9 million tons, and, and yeah. uh, so, you know, now expected to be well below a year ago, but uh, um, just not any price response, and, and so right. we just can't get any, even any short covering at this point in time. In right, market, we've got the sellers back in, yeah, we've got the sellers back in the wheat complex. 
today as well. Take us over to livestock trade, solid gains in cattle. Yeah, really strong gains. Uh, live cattle, feeder cattle, uh, new three-month high in, in live cattle futures. And, and so um, just explosive price action. This comes on the heels of some strong gains earlier in the week and, and uh, the recent string of gains. And, and so uh, that market is, it continues to rebound well off of uh, the December lows, which were quite honestly overdone. And uh, then the hog market at moderate to heavy pressure here at mid-morning. Thank you, Brian. That is Pro Farmer Editor Brian Grady on Markets Now. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now, you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. What if your commercial beef herd could be better than you thought possible? Genetic testing can help give you more confidence about what your herd is made of, and more importantly, what it can be. Inherit Select from Zoetis provides data-driven genetic insights to help you make more informed selection, breeding, and culling decisions about your cows and heifers. The journey from genetic potential to reality begins with Inherit Select. Ask a genetics rep how to save on testing with our whole herd promotion. Go to beefgenetics.com forward slash radio. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. Opinions expressed on AgriTalk do not necessarily reflect the views of Farm Journal Broadcasting, affiliate stations, or sponsors. We've cleared the schedule for you. Give us a call at 855-482-5524 and join the conversation. Welcome back to AgriTalk. I'm Chip Flory. Glad that you were with us on this Thursday morning already. Wow. Here we go, heading into the end of the week. Emily Scores, the CEO of Growth Energy and a friend of AgriTalk, and we welcome her back to the show right now. Emily, how are you? I'm terrific, Chef. How are you? I'm fantastic. Glad that you are here, <laughs> and and I'm looking forward to the conversation about what happened at the Executive Leadership Conference. But first, there is a little bit of celebrating for the ethanol industry to do, I think. Uh, quite the milestone passed with E15, right? It, there is absolutely consumers have driven a hundred billion miles on E15, hmm. uh, which is a which is a great milestone. I don't think you know it's, we're too far before we hit, hit two hundred billion. It just speaks to the fact that this is a product when consumers have a chance to use it, they like it. Mm-hmm. There aren't many things these days that you can buy where you're doing something good for the planet and you're saving money at the same time. Yeah. That's the case yeah. with E15. So it's a great milestone, and I look forward to the next one. Right. Right, fifteen cent different le- difference last night when I filled up between E10 and E15. E15 being fifteen cents cheaper than the E10. Um, you, you, and and I was on the way home. I was thinking about the conversation that we're going to have today. So when I saw that difference, I'm thinking to myself, a hundred billion miles. Good grief! The money that has been saved, even if if it was a fifteen cent average across the nation, 
the lower price on the E15 versus the E10, the amount of money saved is is phenomenal. It is. And then and that's not even counting kind of the spikes when gas prices surge. Yeah. And you know, last summer people saved 40 to 60 cents a gallon. Yeah. So it's astounding. It's it's truly astounding. We just yeah. need it year round in all 50 states and then it's going to take off. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, be, be, again, before we get to uh, LEC or ELC, excuse me, uh, there was some good news for E15 out of Ohio yesterday. You know, it's exciting. If, and I was we, we keep a map. All right. So we maintain a map of everything that's going on in the states. And the past couple of years, the states continue to do a really good job of, of serving up E15. So Ohio, the Ohio General Assembly just passed an E15 tax incentive. So that's going on to the Senate. South Dakota has a tax incentive that's going on to the governor's desk for signature. You've already got four states that have E15 tax incentives. So, you know, I applaud the state legislatures and the governors. They're not waiting for Washington. They're doing what they can. Yes, absolutely. It's, it's, it is very positive to see the momentum uh, that is happening around E15 at the state level. We just need to see it at the national level as well. Okay, last week, Growth Energy's annual executive leadership conference. Your kickoff um, conversation with attendees focused on the message, welcome to the bioeconomy. What is that? What is the bioeconomy? You know, we are the bioeconomy is what we would say. I mean, if you look at what's taking place at the ethanol plant, we're not just making ethanol anymore. We've got a host of, of co-products, of bioproducts that we're getting more diverse as an industry. What we're able to do in terms of bringing that back in terms of economic activity for, for the rural economy. And so, you know, the energy was palpable at the conference. It was the biggest conference that we've ever had. And I, I that speaks to the confidence in the industry, the enthusiasm in the industry, the investment, the innovation. So it was it, great conversation, great energy. All roads do, however, lead back to Washington because yeah. we do have holding patterns, right? <laughs> exactly. We signals from Washington. Yep. I was going to say, unfortunately, you had to follow that message with a session on uh, the the politics of the bioeconomy. That's right. And, and it's because the government rules, regulations, incentives, they play such a huge role in the future of, of the biofuels. What was the focus of that conversation with the growth energy team? You know, it was very specific focus. So it's, it all comes down to carbon modeling. And, and so we know that the, the tax incentives, the conversation being competitive in a low carbon economy, not just in California or Oregon, but also Canada and, and abroad and, and, and nationally, it's, it's all about measuring the carbon intensity. So it's a game of inches, inches, we have an ever-changing carbon yardstick. Who holds it? What model are we going to use? Yep. So a lot of conversation on, you know, part of it is, is my team communicating with our members. Here's how conversations in Washington are going. But we had a lot of members from the administration come as well so they could hear directly, hey, we are ready to invest hundreds of millions of dollars. We are ready to break ground, but we can't do it because you guys haven't figured out the details on the modeling to tell us, yes, in fact, we're going to give you credit for all of your innovation. So it was a good exchange. Mm -hmm. Good, good. I'm, I'm picking up more and more confused looks from producers as we talk about the future of biofuels and sustainable aviation fuel and, and the, uh, the, the directives that are pushing it forward. On one hand, the farming community looks at ESG, environmental social governance, 
and just thinks to themselves, I don't want anything to do with that. On the other hand, some of the directives from ESG are driving what might be a an explosion in biofuels demand going forward. How do you balance that with, in your conversations with farmers? Well, it's, you know, I, I was actually with a group of farmers yesterday afternoon. They were in our offices and, it, and it's the same conversation, which is, all right, how is this actually going to work? Because yeah. we know it has to make economic sense. Okay, you're asking me to make some changes on, on my farming practices. Then I've got to capture the data. I have to give this to a whole bunch of people. It's very time consuming. And is it going to make economic sense? So, so right. you know, the question is, ethanol producer, if you make more, how much more do I make? And the, the, the truth is, Chip, we don't have the answer right now. Right. You know, what, what we're focused on at growth is making sure that the tax incentive recognizes, all right, if you're going to do cover crops, if you're going to do no-till, if we got green fertilizer, you'll get points for that. So there will be a premium placed on those, those innovations, but it's got to be passed on. And I think there's a lot of questions about just how much is going to be passed on and is it going to be worth it for me? as a farmer to make these changes. It's, it's a really yeah. genuine conversation, but yeah. a lot, we don't have a lot of answers right now. Yeah. Yeah. It, for, I, I think for the most part, farmers remain skeptical, but at the same time, they are willing for that skepticism to be replaced with some optimism of what it might mean going forward. Now, some of the uncertainty is it, and I guess, you know, it, it's coming from an, uh, it, it's not all that unusual, for uncertainty to be coming from the Treasury Department because of tax credits and, and as production incentives. But the industry is still waiting on final word from Treasury on the GREEP model. Is that right? We absolutely are. Yeah. Uh, and so, the, all right, good news. December, Treasury said, yes, GREET, we're yep. going to use GREET with respect to kind of the SAF tax credit. That's exactly what we wanted. Then they said, comma, but we're going to update it. So we've been having a lot of really good conversations and education with multiple agencies in Washington, reminding them that, you know, we, hey, we think as a great, as a baseline, greed is fantastic. So make sure that you account for carbon capture, you account for climate smart agriculture, all of the innovations, you give us credit for that. But what's also a live ball is indirect land use. Don't increase that penalty that the trend line is that number should be going down. They're under pressure from environmentalists on the left. Yeah. And yeah. so we keep reinforcing, make this about sound science, make this yeah. about real world practice, and agriculture will do well if if that's going to be the criteria. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. You had a representative there from the U.S. Department of Energy as well. What what did he have to say about how the, uh, what, um, how the currently available biofuels can contribute to the administration's uh, low carbon plans? Well, you know, spoke very, obviously very, very bullish about kind of sustainable aviation fuel okay. um, and excitement there. You know, we also pressed back on the role that we play with light duty vehicles. Yeah. Because we're looking at the fuel economy standards, the fuel emissions standards, and that boy, boy, are, is EPA putting its thumb on the scale for EVs and ignoring yeah. the role that we play. So um, I think, you know, maybe a few more vague answers there, but uh, but I know kind of from my own conversations yeah. Um, they, I think there's an appreciation, gosh, we're hitting some stumbling blocks on the EV front, mm -hmm. which, which, you know, and we are there, we are here to show in the cars on the road today, you can save money, you can lower carbon emissions. It's good for the engine. Like we're ready. We're here. 
And we yeah. don't, it doesn't cost, you don't have to overhaul infrastructure. So we just, we continue to focus, Chip, on being a constructive part of the conversation yeah. um, and, and really showing the value that we bring today and tomorrow and what we can bring back to the, to the rural economy. Right. Okay. All right. You mentioned that there was an energy at the conference this year. How much of that energy was because of SAF, the sustainable aviation fuel? A fair amount. You know, it's, it's a blue sky. It's a new frontier for us. Um, and so, and you're talking about a potential, a huge amount of volume of ethanol. Yeah. Uh, and so, but then again, you know, so a lot of excitement, a lot of, of kind of new tech companies, right? Startups, mm-hmm. tech providers who are looking to work with our members. So it's, oh, it's exciting. Um, but again, it does come back to, okay, Washington, we need the signals. We're looking at three years of a tech neutral tax credit, but, but Chip, three years is not enough. Mm-hmm. We need more time because you guys are late in giving us answers. So we, you know, we're going to have to talk. We're already talking about extending those, those tax incentives. Yeah. Okay. So we have, because these are big capital investments. And so, yeah. yeah. They're, they're huge. And like you said, the volume and the opportunity that this presents is, is absolutely phenomenal. Um, we, we had some questions down at top producer summit about if SAF and, and ethanol to jet develops, can we still continue to service the vehicles out there and, and provide fuel for the vehicles? Um, I would say right now the answer is is yes, uh, to the tune of at least 8 billion gallons or so. I agree. And I get, yeah. I get that question often. You know, we've got, you look at natural trend lines with agriculture and yield. Yeah. We can do both. We can absolutely do both. Yeah. Yeah. And the, effic- and the efficiency in the ethanol plants, it all contributes. Emily, great stuff. Thank you so much. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Emily Score, CEO, Growth Energy. We're going to be talking Dicamba next here on AgriTalk. What if your commercial beef herd could be better than you thought possible? Genetic testing can help give you more confidence about what your herd is made of, and more importantly, what it can be. Inherit Select from Zoetis provides data-driven genetic insights to help you make more informed selection, breeding, and culling decisions about your cows and heifers. The journey from genetic potential to reality begins with Inherit Select. Ask a genetics rep how to save on testing with our whole herd promotion. Go to beefgenetics.com forward slash radio. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now, you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. In the morning... You're coffeeed up and you're thinking. In the afternoon, you've calmed down, but you're still thinking. We're here all day. Agritalk. Welcome back to Agritalk. Davis, uh, 
Tuesday at Top Producer Summit, mm-hmm. uh, Tuesday night at the awards banquet. Yeah. They're just, it, there was a buzz because of the awards banquet and, and uh, the finalists for Top Producer of the Year and, and, and everything. But word was also getting around that uh, there was a decision at federal court, district court in Arizona about uh, DeCamba. And by the time I walked out of that awards banquet, uh, out of the room, there was hardly anybody left. And the last conversation that I had was about DeCamba. I'm I'm glad that we've got Darren Kopik with us right now, president and CEO of the Ag Retailers Association, so that we can learn more about it. Darren, welcome to AgriTalk. Thanks, Chip. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, what happened? What what happened with Dicamba earlier this week in that federal district court in Arizona? Make sure that we understand very clearly what the status is. So the court took up a challenge from Center for Biological Diversity um, and, and concluded that when EPA did its re-registration of the three Dicamba products that are formulated for over-the-top use on cotton and soybeans, that they did not follow the procedures correctly. And so instead of just telling the agency to you know clean up the record and, and fix that, the court vacated the registrations, which means the registrations are no longer valid and, and the product can't be used. And for us, it comes at the most inconvenient time in the whole season yeah. uh, to, to, to handle it. Yeah, yeah. Um, first, on the decision. Did the court give an indication of what that decision was based on? It was, I believe it was a procedural issue about notice and comment that they didn't provide the right notice and comment when they did the re-registration. I have not gone back to trace and see when they issued the comment period and, and all that stuff. But I can tell you that the work we do with EPA's Office of Pesticide Programs. Yeah. Those people know how to check the boxes, and I yeah. really doubt that they missed the boat on this. Yeah, man, oh man! Like you said, uh, the it's February eighth. I'm guessing that a lot of plans have already been made by producers. Ag retailers have already got product in place. Uh, so I I I feel like we we need to be perfectly clear on this. This decision does it prevent dicamba use on crops? in 2024 would the the registration that allows people to use those crops in use those products over the top on cotton and soybeans in 2024 those registrations have been vacated they're no longer active so those three products cannot be used on corn and cotton or the top or sorry soybeans and cotton over the top uh, this season and you're right. You, people have already, you were getting people have already to it. The timing plans. couldn't be worse. No, no, no. You know, uh, growers have already decided this is the seed I want because I want to use this system. And so they probably already have the seed on the farm. Or if they don't, the retailer has it. Retailers also trying to get the, the products that they need in to be able to treat weeds in that system. And then the, you know, the wheels are in motion and the court broke the axle. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Uh, I know that this is a controversial issue, and and there are there are farmers that that want the the tool for their use. Uh, they're one hundred percent behind it. There are other producers out there that that are not in favor of how dicamba has been used. But how do you think that this is all going to play out, Darren? 
Well, a lot of it depends on what EPA does with their final cancellation order, because they have the flexibility within that kind of a system to say, you can no longer use any of it, but if it's already in the channels of trade, yeah. i.e. it's in the hands of a distributor, it's at the retailer, it's at the farm level, then you can use it with the existing label until those stocks are gone. And so what we're asking EPA to do, what we the letter we sent over there this morning said, you know, please be... Uh, cognizant of the situation that we're in as you as you consider the existing stocks. And also, if we get in a situation where people have to have dicamba that is that is uh, legal to apply over the top on these crops and they can't get it later in the year, mm -hmm. we're going to need some help with an emergency use label to satisfy that need as well. Yeah. Okay. So that that does you said you sent the letter this just today to EPA on that. Yeah, just this morning. I would, I would, I would imagine that they that you urged, uh, you know, prompt reply to this one. Oh yeah, everybody's waiting yeah. to see what they do. Uh, we actually asked them for three things. One was the the existing stocks provision okay. in, in a cancellation order. One was the emergency use label if we need it, and one was. Can you appeal the decision and ask them to stay the, the ruling until the appeal's done? That way, at least we can continue to operate okay. under normal circumstances okay. until the appeal runs its course. Gotcha. So uh, we're all waiting eagerly to see what EPA does. All right. So that appeal, that the, is that the next legal step in all of this? It, it could be. I think every uh, the us and also the uh, grower organizations are encouraging EPA to immediately get an appeal out there so that the ruling can be stayed. Uh, and so that would be an, the probably the first thing they'll consider is whether they're going to file an appeal or not. Right. Gotcha. Gotcha. My goodness gracious! What a disruption at the wrong time of the year. This is uh, this is pretty incredible that it's happening right now. Uh, but but. It, it sounds like you and the commodity groups are on top of it and pushing EPA to give us decisions at the right time. What's the best outcome here, in your opinion, Dave, Darren? Well, I think if, if they file the appeal and, and the uh, Ninth Circuit agrees to stay the ruling until they can process the appeal, we can continue to, to get ready for the season in 24. That would be the quickest remedy. Uh, but if they also come out and, and issue a cancellation order that allows existing stocks use and some flexibility where we need it along the way, uh, those are the things that we really need to have. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Hey, keep us up to date on what's happening here, okay? Will do. Thank you, sir. You bet. Darren Kopik, President and CEO of the Ag Retailers Association. Man, oh man, Davis, when that news broke, <laughs> it... There were several things that created a buzz at TPS this year, and that was one of them. That was one of them, no doubt. All right, thank you so much for listening this morning. Come back this afternoon. We're going to talk about the report details with Mac Marshall, VP of Market Intelligence at the United Soybean Board. And tomorrow morning, you know what it is. It's Friday. That means we've got the free-for-all here on Agritech.